Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. As a leader of a team or business, you become used to constant pressure and instability. But when a crisis hits, everything is pushed into overdrive while being scrutinised. Emotions are heightened, problems need to be solved immediately, and your communication around the crisis needs to be airtight. Not an easy task to manage. Sue Cato is one of Australia's leading issue management experts. She's on top of the list of who to call when your company is in strife. She's a confidant to CEOs, a philanthropist, a patron of the arts, and also a friend and advisor to countless others through her work with Chief Executive Women. Sue, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Wonderful to be here. I want to start with your early career. Uh, you were a political staffer. What did that involve and what it, did it teach you about managing a crisis? Uh, I think the most important thing that working in politics teaches you is it teaches you where the real issue is because there's so much stuff going on at any given time. You can't sort of air punch at the, the things that don't matter. You need to be able to say, actually, that one coming up in the lift is the real one that's going to be a problem and that's what we need to focus on. And quite frankly, sometimes it's actually seeing an issue before it hits. How long did you spend in that space and who did you who did you see that was really good in that space? Well, I had a sort of strange childhood in that um, I'm 53 at the moment, very proud and own it, but I actually started working on campaigns in the early 70s because I had one of my parents uh, got wound up on something. And so as a little kid, literally a six, seven-year-old, I was handing out leaflets and letterboxing and those sorts of things. So I grew up working on campaigns. I might say my parents sensibly got over it, but I never did. So stayed right the way through uh, youth politics and student politics, et cetera. So I've been lucky enough to have friends on all sides of the game. And, um, and so, you know, I think where I am now is, you know, if you look at the, the Penny Wongs and the Maurice Paynes and these people, and, you know, someone like Tim Wilson in Victoria, I'm obviously talking about, you know, the, the future here. There's some great talent on all sides. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually, I didn't realise how similar our um, childhood was because I was the same, uh, handing out how to vote cards and um, mm-hmm. stayed interested in the political process and have the same level of respect for the for the people yeah. that you just mentioned. But politics and business uh, are incredibly ego-driven environments. And you're an expert on identifying an ego and seeing uh, what that can do to a career. What tips would you have for new leaders who are potentially just being elevated into the main game? Yeah. This might sound a little simplistic, but you have a job, you are not the job. Because there are some people that the moment they become a CEO, um, either think that they've, you know, they've made it for life and they're, you know, they're, they're rock stars. So to actually, you know, maintain your humility and your humanity 
um, all the way through. It's incredibly important. You're living 24-7. You're not CEO 24-7. And I guess that applies to even just uh, if you're a lot of our audience are are young women who are ambitious um, but also just starting to be successful in their careers. I guess that applies even if you are elevated into just the the next step on, on the rung, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. How many people do you see actually do that? And does that quality in middle management roles lead to ultimate success? I think, um, let me, I'll start at, the, start at the end and work back. Um, if a board's making a decision about a new CEO or, you know, an executive's making a decision about, you know, who they'll promote within their own ranks, you've obviously got to have the skill set. You obviously have to have the experience. But they're not going to promote somebody who's going to be toxic. They're not going to promote somebody who they think will destroy the culture. And as boards and and people who are doing, you know, deciding on the elevations, understand that culture is more and more and more important. So as once upon a time, it didn't matter um, if you were a brute or a thug. And in fact, some people actually loved it. You know, you remember that sort of nicknames like Chainsaw and Crusher and, and things like Caveman, I remember one of them had. Um, that was then. Now you actually need to have the combination of, you know, the actual wherewithal to do the job, but also to actually grow the environment and grow people around you. Why do you think that's the case now? What's changed? I think because uh, we're all more empowered. And you could say it's... Twitter or social media, but, you know, once upon a time, you would never speak up. You'd never speak up. You'd never complain because you didn't think you had the ability or the permission to do it, whereas now everybody feels empowered to talk about anything and complain about anything they want. I'm going to jump around slightly, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to ask you this. If you're a woman in a professional environment and there's inappropriate behaviour, whatever that might mean, from Mm -hmm. low level to high level, would you recommend complaining? Yeah, it's the question is, how do you do it? And that then comes back to what um, scaffolding, if you like, what infrastructure your corporation has um, to deal with it. You know, the good cultures have the uh, independence line where you can, you know, there'll be someone external actually controlling the complaint environment so that you can feel safe. Um, they'll really, um, you know, I've seen a couple of situations where chairmen have been made aware of appalling behaviour, but too late. And they've actually been personally heartbroken, and chairmen, not chairwomen, chairmen, that the individuals within their corporation didn't feel safe or couldn't identify somebody that they could actually talk to about the situation. So really it's about, think about who do you trust within the corporation? Who do you think is like-minded? Um and, you know, quite frankly, it's not always HR. Um, but, you know, you, you might find there'll be a, a female director or a really thoughtful male director or someone where you can actually seek advice and guidance. I think that's really good advice because we see a lot inside the Future Women community uh, concerns about going to HR. And we have excellent HR advisors uh, giving advice, uh, but still it can go badly when you go through that channel. So... Mm. Your advice is find a, a channel that you do trust. Yeah. You've worked with pretty much all of the senior female executives in this country one way or another, either in a paid capacity or as a volunteer in supporting women. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you talk on this often and particularly about getting behind women when they run into choppy waters. Mm-hmm. And tell me 
Um, have you seen a change in women who get elevated? I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is used to be the loudest, the brashest, the brightest, but have you seen those things change as we've become more familiar and comfortable with women in leadership positions? Look, once upon a time, you had to be an honorary bloke. You had to be as tough as they were before you'd, you'd be given a, a chance by a board because they didn't want anyone weak or emotional uh, in a gig. And I, and by the way, look, charisma and passion is fantastic um, and it's great for leadership and great for bringing a team together. Emotion, whether you're a male or female, is something that um, is very different to passion. Um, and, you know, you can't lose your cool. And that's whether you're a male or female. You can't throw things or you shouldn't be throwing things. You can, you can now be a leader without being one of the boys. You, absolutely you can, but you've still got to be fantastic at your job. No pretenders survive these days. You know, once upon a time, you know, boards wouldn't touch a CEO for three to four years or more. And it was actually more about the board protecting itself because it didn't want to look like it had got it wrong. Whereas now boards and, and management understand that if you've got a problem, you act sooner rather than later so that you don't, um, you know, continue the bruise, if you like. So these days you've got to perform, um, you've got to be a good leader, you've got to create a healthy, you know, culture and healthy environment. And, you know, a lot of those skills are skills that women have. What about the executive ranks uh, and the makeup of the executive ranks and the makeup of boards? Are you seeing genuine shift in the diversity or is it still a bit of window dressing? I think it's beyond window dressing, but I don't think um, you can say that every company gets it. There are a lot of companies who actually do get it, but there is still more to come. And um, there are some amazing women out there who still find themselves literally talking at walls, trying to explain why culture matters and trying to actually you know, mount the case that if you do the right thing, if you treat your customers well, if you treat your shareholders well, if you treat your staff well, you will get better outcomes. And there's not really, I can't say that that is agreed across the board. And often, and not only women, there are men who are there, but more often it's the women in the boards who are trying to mount the, some of the soft tissue arguments for value creation. What sort of leader are you? Um, I'm not really good playing in crowds. Um, I'm not. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm not great with hierarchies. Which is why you run your own business. Exactly. And so it's, it's a character failure that I've acknowledged. And, um, but would it have been different if you were born in a different era? Like if you were 25 now rather than 53? I think it goes back to our childhood, Helen, because, you know, when we were little, you know, I was debating politics probably very badly. But, you know, I was debating politics with adults and just considered myself always to have a right to, you know, be at the table. Um, so I think maybe it's growing up in politics that's created the situation and, you know, and, and lack of compromise. I mean, I can't compromise what I believe in and, you know, which is why I could never go into politics. And, and I'm not having a shot at politicians, but to be successful, there are times when you have to argue a case that you do not believe in. And if you don't, you do not survive in politics. And in corporations, you've got that same, um, same structure, if you like, where, you know, once a decision's been taken, you've actually got to do it. And, you know, in, in my business, you know, the client is ultimately the decider on it. But the ability to, behind closed doors, 
to have a really honest and, and frank discussion with, you know, your boards and your CEOs is an incredible privilege and, and something I absolutely love. Um, and it's harder when you're actually inside to do that. We've heard from other people in the series about the importance of your reputational brand as a leader. Can you tell me, um, from your perspective, are people only as good as their reputation? Let's pull back for a sec. Reputation, it can be a good reputation and a bad reputation. True. And what a reputation is actually built about is your pre- predictability of your behaviour. So if people assume that you will always do the right thing or that you're incredibly thoughtful and will engage with people, when your reputation is endangered is when you do something that is, creates a dislocation um, in what people's views of you actually are. Um, so my view is, you know, you earn a reputation and it can take a long time and you can kill it in a second. But equally, you know, you can rehabilitate it. So I see it as um, a right here, right now thing rather than as something that you keep forever. So it's something that's got to be continually fed and watered, if you like, like a good sourdough rise. <laughs> You've been baking as well? Um Actually, less than I'd like to. Yes, me too. I know. I had this grant. I had all these people saying, I'm bored. I've got nothing on. I was kind of like, I'd like a bit of that boredom if I could. Uh, me too. Um, I, I think that's right. Your expertise, of course, is rehabilitating reputations. But ideally, you should build your reputation from the beginning of your career and not need a Sukato to turn up. Absolutely. But look, if you do, we're here. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's about who you are. You know, you, you can't be false. How do you find out what your reputation is? Because someone like you will, or, you know, friends will introduce you to somebody, you know, and say, and this is X and they do Y. Mm. Or people will come to you for advice or for guidance or whatever. It's just if you watch and see the way people interact with you and the kind of advice that you're asked for or the views that, that people are seeking um, and just literally how you fit into, if you like, into, into your community and your environment, I think that gives you a fair idea. Is that equation of brand and reputation different for women? Um, paired right back, no. You know, we, we have to do a great job. You know, we have to behave well. We might be judged um, more harshly. There's a, a story in a book, and I'm going to be a little bit obtuse here because um, these people oh, are quite obtuse. well known, but there's a story in a book at the moment about a, um, a media identity who behaves poorly uh, at an event, um, and there's been a bit of, you know, behind the scenes, you know, who was it, blah, blah. And, of course, it was a, a male figure with a very senior role. Um, an active female feminist said to me, if that were you, your career would be over and everyone would know it was you. So I feel that it's still there is still quite a big difference between the way men and women are treated in, in public life. Um, and look, I don't think that's unfair, mm. but I think whether you're male or female, if you do make an error, if you're prepared to acknowledge the error, demonstrate why you understand it's a problem, give people reason to believe that you're not going to do it again, I think it can be rebuilt. I'm laughing about the actual example I'm thinking about because none of that applies in this particular case. I'm not surprised if it was a media figure. (laughs) And it was a male, yes. Um, What is the best advice you can give to someone in a leadership position who is dealing with a crisis for the first time? Um, 
got to try to take emotion out of it and you've got to try to take control of the timeline and not be controlled. If you can't do those things, you need people around you who can help you do it. Now, if you know, let's just say you're in a situation where somebody's been really injured on your watch or something shocking's happened. You know, if you're a human and you've got, you know, the humility and the humanity we were talking about earlier, you've got to feel the the pain of that. You, you know, you will take responsibility for that because that's part of being a great leader. But if that means that you are incapable of doing the job you've got to do, you've got to be self-aware enough to identify that. Because if you're not, and you're not in control, and you're not actually um, working the situation as you need to, you're only going to double down and make the problem bigger. So you would have seen examples of that where, yes, the apology is offered, but it's not convincing. It's if you use, if you and you know, add the word if anywhere in that apology, that will do it generally. Turning to crisis um, management more broadly, the COVID crisis is something that we've all been trying to manage our way through personally and professionally. Many of the people you work with would have had to work from home. Did you notice anything interesting about what happened to leadership styles through this process? Yeah, we really, because we're actually looking into people's houses quite often, um, it meant that you're actually seeing that the person more than, you know, you'd ever known before, you know, starting from which books they read. Oh, my God, there are no books in that that shelf, goodness gracious. Do they have dogs, you know, messy, clean, all that kind of stuff. So I think we had a greater insight into people bosses being humans. And, you know, I was on a call with a lot of women a couple of weeks ago, and I meant a lot of women. And I was watching this, this huge range of attire. So everything from the Paspali pearls and perfect makeup and everything else to, you know, people literally in their jammies. And, um, it, I, you know, you can't unsee some of those things. Um, but it's, uh, but yeah, I think if anything, we've all become more equal. And what about that presentation component of leadership? Does it matter as much now or are we getting comfortable with the ideas of you and I laughed about me wearing my Ugg boots today? and She's not wearing Ugg boots, guys, (laughs) I checked. But I'm not wearing heels either uh, and haven't done for for a long time now, uh, which is a big change. Yeah. Look, I think I was funny, actually. I was talking to my husband about this this morning. I was on a, a Zoom call yesterday with some people and they were actually in their office and they were wearing suits. And it was actually quite, and ties and everything, and it was actually quite jarring because we have got used to everybody being there. Look, I think bottom line is it's showing respect to the people that you're talking to. Um, so, you know, try not to have the Milo stain on the on the you know, the T-shirt or something like that. I think, you know, there's, there's basic courtesy, but I think people are much more relaxed about being seen to not be wearing a tie. Andrea Clark, who does a lot of work with Future Women, says the same thing. It's about respect for the people that you're meeting. Uh, and if you get that right, then the rest sort of falls into into place. And it's about being on time. Yes. It's about um, letting other people talk. Um, once but all again, of those things, that's an equaliser, right? Because of the way the, the Zoom calls work. You can't talk over or be the loudest person. But you see some people still try. One of the things I think women struggle with is criticism, mm. um, both privately and publicly. What advice do you have for your female clients when they are being uh, roundly criticised in the press? I think being able to stand back and actually create some perspective 
and say, while you feel like you are, you know, everyone's talking about you and you think that you're absolutely at the centre of this and, you know, over, over everybody's brekkie this morning, you were the hot topic, to be able to say, uh, you know, how many stories did you read online this morning? And they'll say three. And I said, okay, did you read any of them to the end? No. Okay, why do you think everyone was reading about you? So what you're saying is it's really important to always remember that you are not your job and it's not yep, all about basically. you. But one of my learnings is yes. um, when you get in the traffic and people come to you and say, are you okay? Are you all right? Quite frankly, it makes it worse. What you want is um, the people around you just to be with you, talk about anything other than the issue, but equally just say, okay, that person's on my list too now, you know, if you've, if you've been attacked by someone. And so it's camaraderie, not being put, in the, not being put on the sick list. What do you do with someone, um, for someone, when they are in the traffic and they are, are really feeling the pressure of that? Um, people handle it differently, as you mentioned before. Some people want to talk about it, so you talk about it. Other people just need distracting. It's funny, I was talking to a lawyer the other day on an issue and um, he and I both worked out that we'd had the same way of dealing with, you know, people, friends and, and clients who are really under the pump. And that was to spend the first five minutes talking about anything but the issue, just to make it really clear that the world does go on. And it's, you know, back to the earlier point, it's not all about you. And as you say, um, the last thing you ever want someone to do is keep asking you whether you're okay. Yeah. And by the way, in a mental health thing, obviously, yes, you're okay. But um, so we separated. Only up. when it's genuine. But it's just, you know, there, there are times to ask, you're okay, but quite frankly, when um, corporate people are or, you know, business people or sports people, whoever, high-profile people are there, um, it's really under, just looking at them and seeing what they need. Because it is easy to see high-profile people as um, as fair game rather than humans. Well, and it's a really important point because, you know, I've seen CEOs and chairs and, and you know, really high-profile people, just people just going at them and going at them and going at them and not realising what stress it's creating and what drama and trauma it's, you know, creating at home and at school and things like that. You know, I talked about hoping that, you know, one of the things out of COVID is that there's a little bit more humanity and a little bit more care out and about. Um, you know, yes, people have got to do their jobs, but let's remember that we're all human. And I do think it applies uh, to listeners of this podcast in the sense that if something big happens in your organisation, it doesn't actually have to be on the front page of the newspaper to feel like rubbish. It can happen on the notice board or in an email or in a, uh, you know, a town hall it and it can someone, still feel very... It can be someone cut down in a meeting, you know, with someone offering an opinion and basically being told that, you know, you're a moron in front of, in front of your um, colleagues. You know, that can be devastating for people. Are you good at difficult conversations? It sounds like you're really good at difficult conversations. Um, I've had to have a few. I think it's about um, honesty and compassion. And if you apply that, the conversation? Well, it helps. I mean, if you think about it, if you um, start a debate at home or a difficult conversation at home by abusing someone or insulting them, you know, there's a fair chance that the conversation will, will end badly or be very short. Um, so I think um, when there are difficult conversations, I just think it's um, being honest, being compassionate, and understanding how the person on the other side of the table or at the end of the phone is going to hear it. Because forget about what's in your voice. What is the other person actually going to hear and take out of it? 
we also talk a lot about balance on this podcast and the importance of balance. What are your thoughts on that? Um, by the way, it's not everyone wants balance. And um, some people thrive on just 24-7 um, being on, switched on. And so once again, every, everyone's a little bit different. I think people get balance in different ways. It could be art, it can be swimming, it can be running, etc. So I think it's about understanding yourself well enough to know how you detox and knowing that um, there aren't always going to be times you can sort of, you know, run up to Byron Bay for three days. You know, that just isn't, isn't a possibility for people. Um, so what, is, what works for you? So it's working that out. So you don't get concerned if you're advising someone and they're the 4am morning person who's read all the papers and then gone overseas and blah, blah, and then they've, you know, done the quick gym session and bragged about how many kilometres they've run on the treadmill and then are still working late into the night. You don't go, oh, we have a no, problem to here. No, it, it's it is um, whether or not they are in one piece emotionally and um, uh, performance. If you, you know, if other parts of your life start falling apart, yeah, then that's an issue. If we cast the net forward a bit, we're looking at a recession, we're looking at a lot of women being thrown out of work, uh, people having to rethink their career paths. What advice would you have to anyone today thinking about how they can kind of future-proof themselves in an economy that is clearly uh, going to struggle for some years ahead? Yeah, no, it will struggle. And, you know, to your point, there are some people who are much more exposed than others. Uh, one of the great things about being self-employed is I'll give myself plenty of notice if I decide to sack myself. But I do think we're going to need to see a lot more uh, entrepreneurialism, you know, both capital E and small e, with people looking at ways to potentially remake their lives and people coming together. But, you know, there is some really tough times coming out. And quite frankly, it's one of the things that if we look around us and we see people who are actually going through a really difficult time, is actually thinking about what we can do to help. I think you did try to sack yourself a few years ago and that didn't work very well. You ended up working harder than ever. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Guilty. You are one of those people that operates at a very fast pace, but you are an exception what you do. And I know how much advice you give behind the scenes and support you give for so many senior women. So thank you very much for your time. It's great to get your insights. Helen, pleasure to be here. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, executive producer Jenny Goggin, sound production by Darcy Thompson.